Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Jay Parson and Michael Baranowski. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. In this episode, I'm talking with Professor Tim Grossclose, author of Left Turn, How Liberal Media Bias Distorts the American Mind. Professor Grossclose is a member of the economics faculty at George Mason University, where he holds the Adam Smith Chair at the school's Mercatus Center, which conducts research on market-oriented ideas. Prior to that, he had faculty appointments at UCLA, Caltech, Stanford, Ohio State, Harvard, and Carnegie Mellon University. He's the author of two books and a number of articles in academic journals, including the American Economic Review, the Quarterly Journal of Economics, the American Political Science Review, and the American Journal of Political Science. Professor Grossclose, thanks for uh, coming on The Politics Guys today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I've been teaching college students about media and politics for over 15 years now, and I've always told them that while editorials and commentary, they can be ideologically biased, that research consistently finds that there's little to no partisan bias in straight news coverage. So you think I've been misleading my students uh, all this time? Well, you say research shows. I think that's true. Uh, I think overwhelmingly kind of in the uh, communications literature, political science literature, uh, yeah, all of that primarily shows. I, in fact, I think it would be almost impossible to publish something that went the other way. And in fact, when uh, Milo and I wrote our first paper in the, the Quarterly Journal of Economics, we kind of knew that um, – Look, we got a result that goes against what political scientists and communication scholars, I, I think, truly believe, but definitely what they preach. And we just said, uh, we don't think we could get a fair shot in a political science or, or communication journal. So we sent it to an economics journal, which I think people, well, I'm biased, so I'm not stepping on toes, but I think the, the, the economists are a little more objective uh, than lots of other social scientists. And, and- and so what did you what did you find in your research about bias in media that went so much against the conventional wisdom I guess we could say Okay you know, maybe I should back up say one more thing one more thing about the prior research is that to do one of these bias things you you have to do something like um compare two facts you know like is global warming occurring or is it not and then some people would define bias as giving equal time to both, and, and I would argue that no, that's not necessarily true. You know, there's there's one side may be more interesting, maybe more relevant, maybe more factual than the other. And so when you say that you must give equal time to both, you're making a subjective assessment. And all those prior studies, I think, whenever they tried to do this, they were at least implicitly making some sort of subjective assessment about the proper amount of of airplay or audio time to give these two sides of a story. The, the difference in my book and also my paper with Milo is that we don't have to make those subjective assessments. What we did is to, to give a nutshell of our method, we looked at uh, which think tanks were being cited by the media. So for instance, if you just looked at uh, Economic Policy Institute, which is a, a group funded by labor unions, leans left, versus the Heritage Foundation, which everyone I think would agree leans right. Absolutely. And you, and you might say, well, you, you should give equal time to both. And we said, no, not necessarily. And so what we did is we look at, looked at citations 
that members of Congress were giving in their speeches. And we sure enough found that those on the right were citing Heritage more, those on the left were citing EPI more. But we said, what would a moderate do? What would someone with we, – we say – which I now call a political quotient, someone with a political quotient of 50, what would he or she do? And, and we said that – if you want to, if you're a media outlet and you want to be unbiased, you, you need to mimic the speeches of the moderates in Congress. And that's basically, in a nutshell, our, our method. And that political quotient you mentioned, now that, if, if I understand correctly, is a, a scale you invented. It goes from zero on one end, which would be uh, the most conservative, to 100, which is most liberal. Is that is that about right? That's right. Uh, one thing I'll correct you is you said you invented. Uh, I, I should say that actually I, I basically just borrowed this from the Americans for Democratic Action. This is a liberal interest group that picks about 20 roll call votes per year and gives a score to members of Congress. And so what I did – now I've done some earlier work. There's probably a, a problem in, in using – that ADA score to make comparisons over time. Some work I did with Steve Levitt, uh, the Freakonomics author, and, and Jim Snyder, a professor of government and economics at Harvard. Uh, we did a paper that allowed you to convert ADA scores so that they can be comparable over time. And, and so what – our conversion factor, our converted scores, I'm now – for my book, I call it a political quotient. But uh, yeah, you're right. It basically goes from zero to 100. 100 is about a Nancy Pelosi, someone who's very liberal. But I would argue maybe there's people more liberal than her. And then there's uh, zero is about a Michelle Bachman, very conservative. But you know th there may be people more conservative than her. But that that's our scale. And uh, I have a, a quiz on my website. I've just summarized some of these roll call votes in Congress and allows I anyone who goes to my website they can compute their own PQ score. Yeah, I, I noticed in the book you do something that I think is pretty rare for social science. You state your political leanings, and you say that on that uh, 0 to 100 PQ, PQ scale, you score uh, a 13, which is kind of in the neighborhood of uh, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, that sort of thing. And I, I took the test myself uh, prior to the interview. I scored a uh, 72.5, which is Joe Lieberman territory. Uh, so why do you why did you decide to to make your own ideology public like this and I get related uh, why do you think it's such a rare practice in academia uh, let's see well both in academia and in journalism it's very rare and you know I think part of the issue just has to do with uh, signaling models and uh, some of the, the most basic signaling models are, are just they they quantify and formalize just some common sense notions. And one is that if you if you want to convince someone, the, the one who's best able to do that is the one who shares the same tastes and values. So you know you, you watch any commercial for you know uh, uh, used car dealers as we have too much inventory. We need to sell. You know mm -hmm. you know you want to buy a car at a low price, then that's what I want to do. You know they're trying to convince you that they have the exact same interests and tastes that, that you do. Right. And so if you think of it from a political standpoint, in, in if you want to change policy, what you have to do is change the moderates. There's you know, something called the median voter theorem that basically formalizes that. I won't go into that, but it, I think it's common sense. When If you want to change policy, you got to get the moderates on your side. So if you want to do that, if you're a journalist or an academic, you want to at least pretend like, hey, I'm a moderate. I'm a moderate, you know, I'm or if you want to 
or the other way, if you want to convince conservatives to, you know, to be for gay marriage, you, you know, if you were willing to be dishonest, you would say, oh, I'm a conservative. Trust me. I, but you, if you right. knew the information I knew, you would agree with me. And so uh, I don't think they, they lie, but they, they don't you – know, these surveys will show that it, you know, it's something like 90 or 95 percent of all academics, of all journalists, will, will vote for the Democratic candidate. They, you know, they are overwhelmingly skewed to the left. And I don't think they want people to know that. They at least don't want to advertise that fact. So they just kind of downplay that and either try to act like a moderate or just don't say a thing and hope – say a thing about their ideology and, and hope that, that people will uh, just think they're a moderate. And I would, I would expect that uh, economists might be a little more centrist. Is that, would that be your experience? Because now you were – I'm going by memory. Um, there's some excellent work by a colleague of mine at, at uh, George Mason named Dan Klein actually looked at some of these uh, surveys and voter registration to look at uh, the ideology or the voting habits uh, or the party registration of, of diff uh, different academics at different departments. And it goes something like uh, the most conservative within academia are like finance professors and engineers who would be something like 60% Republican. The most liberal are the sociologists and the studies professors, the ethnic studies professors. Uh, but then somewhere in the middle are economists. Uh, the, the, by the way, political, political scientists are not quite as liberal. They're something like 90% to 10%. 90% usually vote for the Democrat. Right. Uh, maybe a size 95. Economists, it's, it still leans left, but not near as much. It's something like 70-30. So you're, you're an outlier, but not quite as much of an outlier in an economics department as opposed to a political science department then. Yeah, and, and the other thing about economics, I think, that, that economists, it's so oriented toward math. Now, a lot of people will say that's bad, and maybe there is some, are some bad things about that. But one good thing about it is that economists are so focused – on kind of the, the technical issues of it that, 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 that kind of swamps sometimes their ideological predilections. So if they see a new method that just sees, oh, wow, that is clever, you know, that, that guy solved a, a difficult technical problem, they're more inclined to, to like that, you know, regardless of the ideology. And, and they, they do that more so than I think uh, political scientists, sociologists, and many of the other uh, hmm. uh, social scientists. Interesting. Getting back to your uh, to your findings, uh, I'm curious. What did you find out about the the biased ideological bias of specific media outlets? Did you find any, for instance, big surprises, or was it pretty much what you expected? Yeah, I think it was what I, mainly what I expected. Now, you know, conservatives are, have been saying for a long time that the media is biased to the left. Uh, Milo and I, in our original QJE article, looked at 20 news outlets. Uh, two of them I would call traditional – what people would traditionally call conservative outlets. It was the Fox News show and the Washington Times newspaper. We found them both right of center. We found all the others, which I'd call mainstream media outlets, all left of center. So we in some ways said, you know, hey, conservatives, yeah, uh, you've been right. You know, you, you're right all along. The, the one difference, though, we actually put a number on it. And, and so the, the number we found for the typical mainstream media outlets, what I call the slant quotient, that, that number was about a 60 or 65. So on this scale, 50 would, would be perfectly centrist. So it's on a 100-point scale. The, the mainstream media is only 10 to 15 points. 
uh, to the left of center. And meanwhile, something like the, the average Democrat. So if you took the, the bias of the average con, uh, speech by the average congressional Democrat, that would be something like an 85. So the media is not near as liberal as the average Democrat in Congress, but but it is left of center. So you said um, uh, other so, – so that may have been a surprise. It wasn't as, as liberal as conservatives have been saying, I think. Uh, maybe – Two of the biggest surprises, one was the Wall Street Journal. Now, we only looked at the news pages of the Wall for, for actually for all our outlets. When we looked at the news, not the opinions and the letters, the editor, but we found that the Wall Street Journal was left of center. In fact, slightly, it, it was the most left of center of all the 20 outlets we examined. It wow. was a, even a little bit more left than the New York Times. Uh, oh. so that was a surprise. Now, uh, some caveats to that. One, that the data occurred in the early 2000s. This is before uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, uh, bought the Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm sure if you included the opinions pages, it would be – I think it would be pretty centrist. They, they two would balance each other out. Uh, the, the other surprise uh, to me was CNN. Uh, we looked at one show. It was Newsnight with Aaron Brown. Now, that's now off the air. It's been off the air for a long time. Uh, during the early 2000s, I would say that was the closest thing to the evening network news show of CNN. And uh, we found that almost perfectly centrist. Its score was something like a 54, I think. And Lots of conservatives will always complain about CNN that this is you know the communist news network, and uh, we did not find that. We found them pretty centrist. Now that was one show. I was a little skeptical, and I actually did a uh, a pilot study looking at another show. I looked at Wolf Blitzer reports, and I actually found in my it's a small sample, but I found the same thing. I found Wolf Blitzer was almost perfectly centrist. So uh, I'd say those are the maybe two biggest surprises. Well, now, did you also look at, I seem to recall, the Drudge Report, which most people okay. feel is very far right. But I, I seem to recall your, your results were a little different than that. Oh, yeah. We, we found that the Drudge Report was actually slightly left-leaning. Now, we found it very moderate, but uh, I think it was actually the most centrist of all of our uh, – uh, the uh, outlets that we studied because I remember the, the Drudge Report and Matt Drudge himself actually linked our study with saying right. that headline. Now, some caveats should be mentioned there. Uh, the data for the Drudge Report uh, came for all, came from all the stories to which Matt Drudge linked. Now, I think the stories that Matt Drudge writes himself usually are pretty right of center, but the things that he links to come from basically a broad, broad spectrum of the mainstream media. They come from the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, sometimes Washington Times. But uh, for that reason, it's probably shouldn't be a surprise that uh, the Drudge Report should be pretty centrist. Now, another caveat is that all of our data came from the body of those reports. They didn't come from the headlines that Matt Drudge himself would write. And I think that if you could do a study – now, the thing is we looked at citations to think tanks, and so the problem is almost no headline quotes a think tank. Right, so right. Uh, it would be almost impossible to, for, to use our method on headlines. I, I think if you – but if you could, I, I think that Matt Drudge's headlines are actually right of center while – because what it will often do is he'll find some news article in the Washington Post – the Post will have some headline that 
that pleases Democrats. And then the first three paragraphs of that article will say, you know, how bad Republicans are or something. But then there will be some sentence in the fourth paragraph that explains, you know, something about how bad Democrats right, are. Right. Matt Drudge will take that fourth sentence and make that his headline. So I, I'd argue that, you know, if, when Matt Drudge does things like that, his headlines are probably a little more conservative than the body of text to which he refers in his in, in his report. So the sort of uh, the uh, more conservative leaning headlines maybe draw that audience in, but if they actually read the article, it might be uh, uh, somewhat more balanced. In other words, yeah. Okay. Uh, except I think that often what happens, and I've noticed myself, you know, you keep reading till you find that headline. So you, you keep reading until the fourth paragraph. Right. Where, you know, the typical – if you just go on to the Washington Post or you'd say you're a Democrat, you might, you know, get the first three paragraphs and say, oh, OK, I got the summary of this article. I know enough and, and wouldn't learn that. Now, in looking over the reviews of, of your book, which I did uh, prior to our interview uh, – I noticed a couple of things that, that struck me. Uh, the first was that the book received a, a lot of attention, a lot more than uh, social science research often receives. Uh, a second thing is that uh, a portion of the reviews were not just critical, but I'd say angry and in some cases even almost mean-spirited. And so I was wondering, what do you think accounted for the popularity of the book as well as uh, – the really kind of strong negative response, at least in some quarters. Yeah, there's a number of things. You know, one, uh, maybe I shouldn't say this. Uh, part of it could have been jealousy. Um, you know, we political scientists just often don't get noticed by the mainstream <laughs> public and the press. And this and this got noticed by the press. Now, it's usually conservative outlets that, that were mentioning it. So, you know, the Drudge Report mentioned it. Uh, I was on a few uh, Fox News shows, and I think the average political scientist would just kind of dismiss the Drudge Report and Fox News while secretly, you know, consulting, watching those shows right, and consulting right. the website, kind of wanting to know what are the masses doing. And they, I think they kind of felt like, oh, not only is Gross Close – getting this fame with the conservative audience. He's kind of kowtowing to these, these unwashed peasants, you know, the Fox <laughs> news viewers that this is, you know, immoral what he's doing. So I think that was part of it. Part of it was my own fault. I, it, the title of the book was a little incendiary. And to this day, I have to say, I'm very proud of the book. I'm, I'm not so sure I'm, proud of the title. I, I, you know, to this day, I, I think of, you know, it's like someone who's, um, who, uh, has a lover who's jilted him. And then for the next six months is thinking what I should have said. Right. I kind of think that about the, the title of the book and, and the title was left turn, uh, uh, how the liberal media distorts the American mind. And it, it's a little, uh, uh, sensational, uh, not as scholarly, you know, maybe just something like distortion would have been a good title. Uh, but whatever the case, the, the, the title, in fact, I've had conservatives tell me this, uh, who were not happy about it. So you made this unserious and, um, uh, one kind of prominent, uh, conservative, conservative author said, yours sounds like an Ann Coulter book. So, <laughs> you know, she's just compiling anecdotes. You actually have data and it's empirical. You know, you, you shouldn't have done that. And, um, actually I kind of agree with them, but, but I think that that title actually, 
I think, turned off some of the political scientists. But, you, you know, I'm, I'm glad you noticed that. I, I thought, you know, when you read those reviews, you think, is it just me being overly sensitive? But um, I had to think, yeah, some of these, it just reads like a person who decided that he or she wanted to criticize my book and then that's all he or she did. Just started going through it, looking for things to criticize. Right. Uh, now, were there any criticisms that you came across that you felt were, I don't know, reasonable or somewhat justified? And after kind of seeing the response, was there anything that uh, was a serious enough criticism that made you reconsider your, your methodology or your findings or anything like that? Um, yes. Now, now here, here's one thing that, um, uh, actually here's the thing that, that made me probably the angriest of all about those criticisms is that in our actual original article, Milo and I spent six or seven paragraphs at least, um, explaining here's a potential problem with, with, with our method, you know, like these, these think tank methods. What if the scholars at the left wing think tanks just happen to be smarter than the scholars at the right wing think tanks? We said this could potentially cause a bias. And then we would spend an, an, another paragraph or two explaining, no, why that's not quite right. You know, here's another theoretical uh, theoretical point to make why it wouldn't necessarily cause a bias and saying it's empirical. It's an empirical question. You need to test this with data. And then we would say, here's some data that shows that it's not such a problem. So we, we did this with, you know, maybe three or four potential criticisms. We'd list the potential criticism and then spend a paragraph or two saying why in practice that really isn't such a big criticism. What a lot of the critiques of my work would do is they would just lift I mean, not word for word, but they would rephrase those paragraphs that I wrote and then not explain the, the next paragraph explaining why it's you know not such a big mm -hmm. problem. So, you know, not only, you know, were they kind of deceptive and dishonest not to list that second paragraph, what made me mad is like their criticism was actually a plagiarist. They were plagiarizing me when they did this. Right. So, um, with some of those, I, I tried to address them in the book. So, you know, a lot of them, the, the critique was for some reason that the think tank data wouldn't be good. And so in the book, I said, well, let's use different data. I said, well, let's use loaded political phrases. And you could do a very similar, use a very similar method, just use the different data to use the same method. Uh, another set of data you could look at is facts. And I looked at these two different facts about the Bush tax cuts, one that all the Republicans were saying, one that all the Democrats were saying, and you could use the same method. Now, those two latter approaches, those two different sets of data, gave me basically the same results. If anything, said that the media was slightly more left than I had originally pointed, pointed out. And, and uh, no one – then even after the book came out, I think lots of those critiques didn't really read the book. They just kind of regurgitated the old critiques of my article, didn't know that I had addressed some of those. So um, th that was one set of critiques. If, uh, if I can, you said if there's anything that, that made me rethink. I, I did have uh, two very bright colleagues at UCLA, one Jeff Lewis, who said, uh, you know, look, what what could happen is that when you have a Republican as president, what the media does is they go and get a, a quote from one of the Republican staff members, and they counterbalance that with someone from a left-wing think tank. And so what that would do, it was cause you to have an artificial amount of left-wing think tanks 
in, in your, your data set. Right. It would make the media look artificially left. And I said, well, yeah, but of course the opposite would happen when it's a Democratic president. And he said, yeah, yeah. And so I did check the data, and of all the news outlets for which I had data for you know, both when there was a Democrat and a Republican president, there, there seemed to be some truth to that, that uh, their score would vary. It's about two points. Uh, you know, it would go two points to the left when it's a Republican president, two points to the right when it's a Democratic president. And that was one good. And, uh, uh, yeah, I won't go over it. Another very bright colleague, Rob Traeger, just said something. Well, you know, what if there's – he called it a time inconsistency problem. This is a very technical issue. I probably shouldn't go into this. But he said, what if voters just tend to like a – representative who is a little more conservative than themselves, you know, say for um, uh, defense reasons that, you know, they, they want to make sure someone's going to, to attack back if someone attacks the United States, mm-hmm. and which would mean that that I'm comparing news outlets to politicians where voters may be uh, more liberal than the politicians they, they elect. And I think he had a, a really good point, too. So assuming that your findings are, uh, are largely correct, that most of the media is really uh, pretty liberal, uh, the question I have is, does this matter? And there are some political scientists, for instance, who might say that uh, the people most likely to follow political news in the first place are already uh, fairly set in their ideology. And so they won't be swayed that, that the partisanship of the media has uh, sort of a what's often been called a minimal effect on the public. Is this a uh, what do you think about this? Would you agree with that or, or not? You know, if you'd asked me, um, say, six years ago, uh, I, I would have said that. I, I, you know, I think the, the economists in me, you know, the rational choice, if you're systematically persuaded by, by the media and they have a, a systematic bias, you, you should discount that if, if you're rational. And then in equilibrium, you, you wouldn't be persuaded at all. That, that was my thoughts uh, six or so years ago. And uh, but then, and I, I've read some of this literature on the minimal effects uh, uh, literature in political science and communications. But I was at a conference and I saw this uh, guy who I thought was a grad student, his name was Stefano Della Vigna, and he started telling me about the study he was going to do. He said, "You know, it looks like that when Fox entered the market, Fox News, uh, this late '90s, they didn't just." try to enter where conservatives were. In fact, it was kind of random where, where they actually set up. So this is basically an experiment. You just look to see, you know, where Fox entered in the late nineties. Turns out they were, you know, I think by the end of the 1990s, they were in something like one third of the markets, you know, two thirds of the places in the United States, you couldn't get Fox news. Um, so, so, so you just look in those neighborhoods where Fox news is available and where it's not compare how those voters voted in 2000 versus how they voted in 1996 when Fox News didn't exist or just maybe barely existed. And then you could see, did Fox News, you know, did they did they vote more conservatively? And if so, you would naturally conclude that Fox News is actually causing them uh, to vote more conservatively. When he told me this, I thought, this is genius. And I never wow. really quite trusted some of those studies. I think, you know, there's something called an endogeneity problem in social science and that none of them had really done an experiment. So I said, you know, I've been a, a media effects agnostic for the longest time. And, you know, I don't believe that it really has any effect, but I'm going to let your study decide what, what happens. And, um, 
uh, sure enough, they did the study and, and found a, a significant effect. And, and actually, in the last part of my book, I review some of the studies like uh, Della Vigna and his co-author, Ethan Kaplan, and then another excellent study by these Yale political scientists who did another experiment. They, they uh, called up people in the D.C. suburbs, flipped a coin, and gave them, with their own research money, gave these, uh, these people either a subscription to the Washington Post or a subscription to the Washington Times – and found that, sure enough, the people with the Washington Times subscription voted more conservatively than people with the Washington Post subscription. So uh, I changed my views. And uh, in the last part of the book, I try to quantify exactly what this effect is. And I do some calculations, make some assumptions, sometimes heroic, but I think always pretty reasonable. And I think the best that we could think of are, are, are pretty accurate uh, and try to test the effect. What, you know, what is the effect of the liberal bias in the media? And that's what – how would voters think and vote if there were no media bias? And, and my answer is that it's about 20 or 25 PQ points, and, and this is about the difference between the average voter in a purple state like Iowa or Virginia and the average voter in a pretty red state like uh, Texas or Kentucky. So the answer is, the, the, by my estimates, the, the effect of the media bias has shifted us. So, so naturally, the average voter in America would think about like the average Texas voter, whereas with the media bias, the average voter thinks about like the average Iowa voter. So, so then to, to sort of sum up then, it seems like uh, you're saying that uh, liberal media bias is a real thing, first off. And secondly, it has uh, significant effects on, on our politics and on our policy in this country. Is that, is that right. more or less fair? That's right. Yes. Wow. Okay. So I could see where a lot of folks, especially in liberal media outlets, would not be anywhere near happy with that that type of uh, that type of a yeah. finding. Okay. Oh, and then the, the 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 last the epilogue of my book, I explain why. Uh, I'm not joking. I explain why uh, journalists. Uh, I, I, well, I kind of accuse them of being unethical. They they're not transparent about their views, and I. Say, you know, a lot of these things could be fixed if they would just be more like politicians. <laughs> so wow. I think that's kind of a, a pot shot to say you're unethical and you could be more unethical. If, you could be more ethical if you would just act like politicians. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's not a hurt. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so where do you get your political news after all this? You know, what uh, – uh, I guess more to the point, what sort of sources or strategies would you recommend to listeners who want to get you know, a reasonably balanced understanding of uh, American politics and not spend you know, hours and hours like, say, political science do? Where can we, you know, in your view, where can we go to get uh, political news that's not ridiculously uh, biased either way, I guess? Um, you know, I, I know you have uh, cautioned people, you know, shouldn't get your news from television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yet, uh, um, I'm the, uh, the the worst person about not following that advice. Partly just, I don't know, something about being a parent. There's no time to read the newspaper. Uh, and it happens that uh, I've got about four different running injuries that won't go away. So I'm doing about – hour of day worth of uh, kind of physical therapy exercises. It just happens that I, I like doing them when the TV is right. on. So my typical routine, I, I love um, 
uh, Brett Baer's special report. I think that's a highbrow source of news and uh, fairly balanced. I think it leans right, but uh, not far right. Uh, and I actually, even though I'm, I'm occasionally uh, appear on Fox and Friends, I say I actually like watching uh, Morning Joe. I think that leans left. Now, uh, Joe Scarborough is to the right, but it, most of the other hosts and guests, I think, lean left. And so uh, that's kind of my balance. Uh, you know, a lot, I watch a lot of Brett Bear's special report and balance it with, with Morning Joe. Um, then during the day, it's a divergence. I, I think I spend too much time uh, – uh, actually digesting the, the news. I should be doing some other work, but uh, I go to the Drudge Report all the time, uh, Washington Post, especially now that I live in the uh, D.C. suburbs. Uh, what, oh, and a Real Clear Politics. That's one of my favorite sites. I think that does a That's great a job. Of, uh, often it will just literally alternate, you know, conservative op-ed, liberal op-ed, just uh, down its list. And I think it does a great job of finding uh, the most interesting op-eds uh, out on the web. So I know that uh, uh, Left Turn came out a few years ago now. So I was wondering, uh, what are you working on these days? Well, I've, uh, you know, actually when I was working on, on Left Turn, even though it's kind of a passion, you know, the news and doing quantitative studies, trying to measure social scientific concepts, uh, it took me something like, eight or 10 years to, to write this whole book. And I, I got sick of it after a while. I remember the last two years, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm remembering uh, the supposedly first rule of being a good writer, which is to keep butt on chair. And right. <laughs> otherwise, because I wanted to do something else. The whole time I was thinking, I'm going to do something fun. I'm going to do something fun once this is over. And I finally got around to it. I've, I'm, uh, I've in the past done some work on sports economics. Uh, Steve Levitt and I, for instance, uh, I mean, lots of people have, have um, heard about his work on uh, soccer goals, these, uh, this game theoretic model of these penalty shootouts. What people don't notice is that he had two co-authors, and I'm one of those co-authors. Oh, wow. uh, the problem of working with the genius is yeah. that everyone thinks the genius did all the work. Yeah, Never right. True here, but um, – uh, but I've, I've had an interest in sports economics, and I'm, I'm going back to it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to create a method that um, I believe uh, will be better than all other methods out there to rank sports teams. And so I happen to be a very big uh, college uh, football fan. And, you know, of course, they have the college football playoff system, this, you know, group of – 20 or so experts, mm -hmm. including Condoleezza Rice, who votes on who are the four football teams that deserve to make it into the playoff. And um, uh, I'm going to test whether uh, they're actually choosing the best four teams or well, not. So that's – I'm an Ohio State fan, so that worked out really well for me uh, in this last season, certainly. So you know, I, have, I have no problems with the system as it exists right now. But that I, sounds really interesting. I, uh, I, I wanted to do this part last – just getting tired of angering all these people, but I have a feeling this oh. is going to anger people. And I've, I've, the preliminary results I've found, um, now I found, I should disclose, I used to teach Ohio State myself. I consider myself a Buckeye fan, but uh, I did not find they were in the top, at least the preliminary results are showing that the, the Buckeyes were not in the top four. They, they were the beneficiaries of some luck. Now, a lot of people complain, then they won the whole thing. So maybe your method isn't so good. Right. But um, 
uh, I'm almost certain that uh, no matter what results I get, there's going to be someone who's angry at. Yeah, me. I think that's fair to say for sure. Well, that sounds that sounds really uh, really interesting. I I know we're. Uh, just about out of time. So I just wanted to say thanks so much again for, for coming on the show. It's been really great talking with you today. Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you're interested in getting a copy of Left Turn, we'll have a link to the book on Amazon in the show notes, which you can find on the Politics Guys website, politicsguys.com. That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, comments, or criticisms, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is politicsguys at gmail.com. That's politicsguys, one word, at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a minute and rate the show and write a quick review. You can follow us throughout the week on the Politics Guys Twitter feed. Our handle is politicsguys. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Politics Guys. We hope you'll join us.